This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 4. On November the 12th, 1660, a minister named John Bunyan had prepared to preach a sermon to a small congregation outside of Bedford, England. He was preaching from the words, Do you believe in the Son of God? found in John chapter 9, verse 35. And he wanted to show his hearers that the thing of greatest importance in life was to ask their own hearts whether or not they had faith in Christ. While Bunyan prepared his sermon, a justice of the peace named Francis Wingate prepared a warrant for Bunyan's arrest for illegally preaching the gospel outside of an authorized church in England. Bunyan's friends caught wind of this and cautioned him not to hold the church service, but instead to slip away and continue gospel ministry somewhere else. After all, he had a young wife, four small children, one of them blind, and another baby on the way. Going to prison would be costly in more ways than one. Bunyan prayed about what to do, but shuddered at the thought of cowardice in the face of opposition. He said there's no way he could run or cancel the worship meeting. He said to his friends, come, be of good cheer. Let us not be daunted to preach God's word is a good work, that we shall be well rewarded if we suffer for that. While the preacher and the congregation had their Bibles in their hands like we do now, constables hurried in, presented the warrant, ordered him to leave the pulpit and to come with them. Bunyan replied mildly, telling them that he was only going about his master's business, and that he must obey the voice of the Lord rather than that of man. Justice Wingate later asked Bunyan why he insisted on preaching without proper authorization. Bunyan explained his burden to preach Christ and to instruct people how to turn from sin and find salvation. In response, the angry justice ordered him to jail, refusing bail unless the pastor promised to never preach again. For the next 12 years, Bunyan chose a prison cell over his freedom because he simply could not stop preaching and speaking about Jesus. And of course, it was from this very prison cell that we get the books Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners and what you'll probably be familiar with, Pilgrim's Progress which if you've never read that, um, you should start today. From his jail cell, he wrote this. Jesus Christ is never more real and apparent than now. Here, I have seen him and felt him indeed. I never knew what it was for God to stand by me at all times and at every offer of Satan to afflict me as I have found him since I came here. 
Notice two things before we move on. First, Bunyan's commitment to sharing the good news of Jesus, no matter the cost. And second, his one life ambition, regardless of circumstance, to know and be with Jesus. There are two phrases in our passage today that have long gripped me. And as I prayed for you and studied this week, I couldn't help but think of Bunyan as I read them. I even challenged our children to name my future grandson Bunyan Boswell. (laughs) No takers so far. Two phrases. The first is, they had been with Jesus. It comes as a description of the apostles while standing before the Sanhedrin, testifying of Jesus. It's only a passing comment, but it deserves careful consideration. The second phrase is found in the apostles' response while standing before a jury. They said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen. And heard. These two statements placed side by side paint a beautiful picture of the Christian life. One that we witness in the early disciples, the same scene in Old Bunyan, and one I pray would grip our hearts afresh this morning. May it be said of us, they have been with Jesus. And may we be found saying, We cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. In Acts 4, 13 to 22, Peter and John stand before the most powerful people in Israel and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. The miracles that they had seen and the truths they had heard from Jesus had turned their entire lives upside down, causing them to be bold, Gospel witnesses. Here we find a pattern of living meant not only for these apostles, but for each of us who follow Christ. Since they had been with Jesus, their hearts were filled with gospel boldness and their lips with gospel witness. If you're able, would you stand to your feet as we read together from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. and They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. We begin by stressing the gospel boldness that is evidenced in the life of the apostles, verses 13 to 16. Notice first that this 71-member council comprised of the most powerful men in Israel are astonished by these two simple fishermen, completely astonished. Yet, it's important for us to recognize there's nothing impressive in and of the apostles themselves. What makes them so astonishing is Christ in them. The boldness that amazed the council was a Christ-centered boldness, a gospel-fueled boldness, a mission-advancing boldness. Let's gather some of the ideas here and see what we might learn from them. We see in verse 13 that the apostles were just ordinary people. Part of the amazement coming from the Sanhedrin is linked to the fact that these men had no educational transcript to stand on, no impressive resume that validated them. The leaders call Peter and John uneducated, or more literally, illiterate. The use of this word has nothing to do with their ability to read, but pointed to the fact they did not come from any impressive rabbinical school where they were trained to read and interpret Torah or the Jewish law. Further, the council calls them common men. You've got to hear the Greek here. It says it all. Idiote. (laughs) Pointing to the fact that, well, they weren't that bright. No, what they're showing is that they're not hailing from distinct or powerful families in Israel. There's nothing particularly special about them. They were just ordinary people. The apostles may have been ordinary, but they had been entrusted with an extraordinary experience. They may not have an exclusive education, but they had been enrolled in the school of Christ, where the living word of God incarnate taught them how to read scripture, how to interpret it, how to preach scripture right in front of their eyes. They may not hail from well-to-do families, but they have Yahweh himself as their father. And they had been with Jesus. These enemies of Christ saw something different in the apostles, in the way they saw the world. A quiet courage, a resolve, a single-mindedness, perhaps that they saw in Jesus just weeks before when he stood before them in this same court. You see, for three years of their life, they had lived with Jesus. They ate every meal with him. They knew what foods he didn't like. They were familiar with his laugh. They memorized his words. The more they were with Jesus, the more their lives were shaped to his. He was their rabbi. They were his disciples. They followed his footsteps. 
his teaching, his way of being in the world, they had been with Jesus. The last time Peter heard those words was from the lips of a little girl as Jesus was being led away to his death. Then it filled his heart with fear. Now it is the very source of his boldness. They had been with Jesus. Next we come to some undeniable evidence in verses 14 to 16. There's a verb here that you may have hurried past as we read the account, but it's no small matter that Luke tells us this previously lame man was standing next to Peter and John. Luke could have just mentioned that the man was simply there, but he goes beyond that and says, no, he was standing. Jim Boyce points out the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. The basic part of anastasis, which is stasis, is the word for standing. And so the Greek mind would hear the word resurrected as people who were standing up, as opposed to dead people who were laying down. And so there was a sense in which this resurrected man was a symbol of the very gospel Peter and the others were proclaiming. Resurrection from the dead. A man who had never taken a step walked into the courtroom as living evidence. Someone had healed him. Peter tells us twice, definitively, it was none other than Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 14 that the council had nothing to say that could be said in opposition to what they saw. Verse 16 records part of a private conversation where they describe this as a notable sign that was evident to the entire population. Therefore, they conclude in verse 16, we cannot deny it. This audience may deny the possibility of a resurrection, but they could not deny what they saw standing right in front of them. It may be unexplainable from their perspective, but it was also undeniable. I pray that it would be true of the people of the Trails Church that we might be described as those who have been with Jesus. I'm incredibly challenged by that phrase. It's Old Testament equivalent, which I'm also challenged by in Genesis 5.24, says of Enoch only this, he walked with God and was no more. What a wonderful mission statement for a life, to walk with God and be no more, to be with Jesus as we pass through this world. I'm convinced that if we want this to be said of us, there is no shortcut, and there's no other way than to be in the presence of Christ, to treasure relationship with him more than anything else in this world. I wonder, is there a person in your life that when you are with them, you think they have been with Jesus? They walk with Jesus. If the person you're thinking of right now is still with us in this world, I want to just encourage you to write them a note of encouragement this week. Now, likely they don't live by your praise already, and so they live to the audience of God. But your words could be an encouragement to them 
And I would trust even in writing it to say, hey, when I see you, I see a person who walks closely with Christ, that you will be encouraged as well. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, may we all learn the lesson of this old incident. Let us meet with this Jesus and listen to him. And soon, we too will become phenomena. We will become men and women who are enigmas to everyone else. May we be men and women who walk with Jesus and are filled with gospel boldness. Second, we see the gospel witness of the apostles, verses 17 to 22. Their boldness compelled them to share and speak of who Jesus is and what he had done for them. Before we get to any mention of speaking or preaching in the name of Jesus, we hear first, A sentence to silence. A sentence to silence, verses 17 and 18. Within the span of 24 hours, the council condemning the apostles had received an invitation that they too could repent of sin and turn to Christ by faith and they would be saved. Peter had boldly preached to them that there is salvation in no other name. Yet this council of religious leaders rejected that invitation, choosing instead to stand their ground in opposition to the very God they claim to serve. It's fascinating that in this moment, they don't make any attempt to try to discredit the apostles. Do you notice this? This would have been a wonderful opportunity if they could, if they could disprove the resurrection But they knew about the guards stationed outside the stone. They knew of the earthquake. They knew of it all. These are the very guys who said their life mission was to hold out the salvation of God to any who would hear. Yet instead, you'll notice they want to silence the gospel from advancing at all. They actually don't want anyone to hear about salvation And so there's a sentence to silence. Though that's true, Peter and John had a reason to speak, verses 19 and 20. Peter respectfully replies to the council, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. This statement is more like a question whereby Peter once again turns the tables on the jury of his accusers, asking him, who is the highest authority? Is it you or is it God? You see, God himself, in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, had told his disciples in Matthew 28, 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching. Teaching in the name of Jesus. He again told them in Acts 1, 8 that, They would be his witnesses, telling far and wide the salvation that comes through Christ alone. Peter's argument is that Jesus Christ had instructed them to speak and preach. And so to hold back from that good news, from that good, great commission, would be disobedience to God himself. Look with me at verses 14 and 20 together. I want to show you what I see. In verse 14, 
It says there at the end that the council had nothing to say. And in verse 20, the disciples have everything to say. The opponents of Jesus have nothing to say. The disciples of Jesus say, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. So what is it that Peter and John specifically had seen with their own eyes? Their eyes witnessed Jesus turn water into wine and gave sight to the blind. They saw him walk on water and restore life to a little girl once again. They beheld the glory and the radiance of Jesus on Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration as his glory was revealed and he spoke with Moses and Elijah. They were the same two apostles that John records as running to the tomb when Mary gets to them and says, he's risen. And they run. John's careful to let us know that he beat Peter there uh, to the grave, which I think is really great. But there they are together, seeing firsthand they saw the death of Christ, and now the grave was empty, and soon it wouldn't be long before they see the resurrected Jesus with those same eyes. Well, what had they heard? That the kingdom of God has come? That all the promises that God made through the entire Old Testament in Jesus are yes and amen? That he came to fulfill all the law in the place of people who couldn't? That he said to sinful people, come unto me, bring me your burden, I'll give you rest for your souls, forgiveness of your sin, life everlasting. They had seen the good works of Jesus and heard the good news of Jesus and they now could not stop talking about what they had seen and what they heard. They could not stop talking about Jesus. And finally, I want you to see how this pericope ends in the praise of God, verses 21 and 22. The leaders of the nation are worried about the crowd. The apostles' stress level is at an all-time low. The religious people are panicked about the opinion of the people, the court of public opinion. Peter and John are set on just honoring Jesus the leaders threatened then the apostles more and more not to speak about Jesus or to teach in his name, not to perform miracles in his name. They don't want to hear the name of Jesus ever again. Yet, people were praising God already for what had happened to this lame man who was raised from his condition by the resurrected Jesus and had now been made whole in his name. So let's pull together these threads of gospel witness. A sentence to silence, a reason to speak, and this account ending with the praise of God. I was struck with the situation we find ourselves in today in North Texas. Not just geographically removed from the city of Jerusalem, and not just by time, but also by experience. In Jerusalem, the church was not only opposed, but persecuted for their faith. In the coming chapters, we will see them put not only in prison, but killed for faith in Jesus. 
we are at most marginalized for our trust in Christ. In Jerusalem, they were under order from the government to never speak the name of Jesus again, and they refused to quit. You and I, in this wonderful nation we live in, America, we are promised freedom of speech, yet many of us are terrified to use it out of fear of how we might be seen. We're not worried that someone would kill us, maybe just kill our reputation. Not that so much we would be imprisoned, but that our careers may be. And so what do we need? We need to believe that we have a reason to speak. You have, Christian, brother, sister in Christ, you have a reason to speak. Because like these apostles, your ordinary life has gone through an extraordinary experience. You have been freed from sin, forgiven of your past, united with Christ. You have a story to tell of a heart set free, a conscience cleansed, a peace with God. Like old John Bunyan, we need an urgency to share the good news of Jesus, even in the face of great cost. He wanted to show his hearers that the thing of highest importance in life was to ask their own hearts whether or not they had faith in Christ. So may I ask you that very question this morning. Looking into your own heart, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? And if not, I pray today would be the day of your salvation, that you would turn from your sin, turn to Jesus Christ by believing in him as the Son of God who was sent from the love of God in order to live the life that you could never live died the death that you deserved and was raised to life again on the third day so that one day you might be as well. Do you have faith in Jesus in your heart? And like Peter and John, we need a boldness that would stand on the truth of the gospel and hold it out to anyone who would listen, regardless of the cost. How do we do that? Well, it doesn't happen from, apart from time with Christ, and it doesn't happen apart from prayer. As we continue on our study of Acts 4 next week, Lord willing, we'll see what happens in this prayer meeting where they fall on their knees before the Lord, asking him to go before them and to flex his might and to save and fill them with boldness that they would be witnesses. May we do the same. It may be said of us who have come to know and follow Jesus that as people survey our lives, watch how we live and work, how we cherish our spouse and parent our kids, how we love one another, how we speak to those outside of our faith with compassion and grace and urgency and clarity, how we seek to know God. May it be said of us, they have been with Jesus. And may we be found saying, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Let's pray to the Lord for his good help. Father, thank you for this passage and for speaking to us through it. 
Thank you for what it reveals about who you are, your heart to bring salvation to this world. Thank you for what it reveals about the nature of mankind, how we stand utterly in need, how it points us to the good news of the gospel. By faith in Jesus, we can be transformed, changed into the image and likeness of your Son. Let us respond to it, O God, with faith, with courage, with boldness, with dependency, with humility. Let us be a people whose lives are marked, that it would be said they have been with Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 